Lord's Day passed, I got involved a little bit too much with preparing and studying on Sunday morning and didn't pay attention to the time and had to leave a little bit late for my house and I couldn't get where I go to church, First Baptist here in Jacksonville on time for the 10 o'clock service. So, got in my car about 10.15, drove down the road to Dr. Helwig's church, not too far down the road. So let me give you a little bit of a recommendation. If you can't get to First Baptist Church on Sunday morning, <laughs> choice B is always Brother Helwig down the road. Excellent sermon that morning, enjoyed the service. But as I was approaching New Summerfield, you notice something different. You go that way a lot. First, if you had been through there in a while, the first thing that will catch your eye is that you will see over here on this side going north towards Henderson, you will see that the Methodist Church has changed their sign. It does not say First United Methodist Church in New Summerfield anymore. It says the Global Methodist Church of New Summerfield. You see behind this little Methodist church, not too small, behind where Walmart used to be out here on the highway on the other side of town, that Methodist church also says Global Methodist Church. I don't know about First, First Methodist here, but I know they have left the United Methodist Church, all three of those, and joined this Global Methodist Church. Now, Maybe if you're a little younger, you may not realize or understand what it's like for a small to medium-sized church, excuse me, town in East Texas to have First United Methodist Church change their name. That is a cataclysmic event in those churches. They have split. Hard times in the religious world today. Several a few decades ago, the Anglican Church split around the world, primarily, and also the Methodists now, primarily over what we know as the social justice or social agenda of our day. Not too many decades ago, the Southern Baptist Convention split. And from the Southern Baptist Convention, you had the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Many knew that as the Bill Clinton and Jimmy, what was our president's name? Jimmy Carter branch of the Baptists. Associational Baptists split out of the convention in 1900 or so. In turbulent times, religious bodies, churches split. In your particular church, it may be I'm almost positive, unless it's just a remote circumstance with you particularly, churches everywhere are under all kinds of immense stress in our day and time. Not just the economic stress we've been through in the last couple of years, but with the social agenda around us. Upheaval in churches. You may think you have really some really sound people in your church. And you think they would stand with you on these social issues? Well, let me tell you, some people that seem to be really sound and older people, they will stand with you on these issues of the sodomy uh, reputation or the sodomy agenda in our world today or the feminist agenda in our world. They will stand with you until 
their granddaughter or their grandson gets off into it. Then it's okay. And you better not talk about it. It may be that your church has a, an unbiblical ecclesiology. It may be that your church looks at you as the CEO, if it's a big church, and the deacons are the board of directors of the corporation. And you're supposed to work for these deacons, this board. Maybe in a smaller church, there may be one deacon that sees, says that he is in charge. That's unbiblical. You see the biblical model here in 1 Peter in chapter 5. Their elders, the proper thing, it's proper ecclesiology with the leadership of elders and the deacons in service to the whole church. And you start to go against that and preach the Bible, there'll be problems along the way. You might also think about the times we live in. There are churches closing in multitudes. This past year, there have been more, excuse me, the last two years, there have been more pastors retire and just quit than ever before. Ezekiel wrote in troublesome times. Peter was writing in trouble sometimes. But what does he say to these elders? What's his word? We can look to Peter today in this passage and he would tell us today the proposition I think of this first few verses of chapter 5 would be that shepherds must shepherd because of who the great shepherd is and by watching him. First thing we want to see there in chapter 5 verse 1 again the order from Christ verse 1 the elders which are among you I exhort again the idea of the ancients what's an elder somebody that's older and mature that God has called into the ministry the older man is describing that but then he says who am also I exhort you I encourage you who am also an elder we need encouragement maybe that in our day and time the Thing, same thing that's going on in Ezekiel the judgment starting at the house of God judgment starting in our day and time in these last days in these denominations of churches and then the last times these troublesome things coming in individual churches this man says he's a fellow elder Peter does he know anything about troublesome times he says I exhort you as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Maybe as Peter was reflecting on the book of Ezekiel, maybe he was reflecting on his own times and his own troublesome life. The troubles he had been through with his religious people and how he performed. How did he perform? when he was there in the garden with Christ the troublesome time came this fellow elder that knows those people and knows our hearts today the Holy Spirit does 
when the troublesome time came, what did Peter do? He ran away. He fled from the scene. When he got ready, Peter here gets ready to encourage us. Maybe he's thinking back to the time when he ran away. He wants to encourage us not to run away and leave our boss, leave our great shepherd, the shepherd alone. The under shepherds are to be there. Maybe he's reflecting on his failure in life. He was also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. How was he partaker of the glory that's going to come? Maybe he's talking about when he was there at the Mount of Transfiguration, he saw Christ lifted up, glorified. But maybe he's also thinking about when he saw the resurrected Christ in his exaltation past his humiliation of suffering for our sins. But then he sees him in his exaltation there in the book of John, the last chapter by the seaside, and Christ comes to them. And he starts to question Peter, this man, this under-shepherd that's failed him before, like all of us have failed Christ sometime before. Sometime we probably ran away, just like Peter did. But then he says, also a partaker of the glory, he saw the glory of Christ, but then he saw the resurrected Christ, and when he met the resurrected Christ on the shore of Galilee, what did this resurrected, exalted Christ tell Peter? He asked him the question three times. Do you love me? Three times he told Peter. We see in different versions of English we say, See, shepherd, feed my flock. But actually said, replied, feed them twice and shepherd them one time. Maybe with all that in mind, this fellow elder would say to us today as he was telling those elders there in Asia Minor, he was telling them, you think about it for a minute. You elders, you're under tribulation, you're in trial. The judgment has started at the house of God. And maybe starting with you. Maybe starting with you today in the church where you are. Trial and tribulation. What can we do? Can we run away? Do we hide from the great shepherd? Or do we look and think about this exhortation from the man that failed. But now was recommissioned by Christ as an apostle. And told what? to do. Peter in this very next verse he tells these elders that are left behind that he's over he tells them in verse 2. In all this passage these four verses there's one command again. What does he tell them? Verse 2. Feed the flock. The same thing that Jesus told him. Feed or shepherd my flock. Literally here it is the word, overall word for shepherding. What does it mean to shepherd God's church? Three things really involved in the names we see in the New Testament in the Greek for our idea of shepherds again. 
first word we see in this passage is the elders. That's someone that is matured. Not necessarily how old they are. That's an indicator also. But primarily how spiritually mature they are. I've been in a few touchy, troublesome situations in churches. Several times those touchy situations have been brought about by older men in the church. That were ancient men, as it says in Ezekiel. They should have been elders. They thought they were elders. But their spiritual maturity was about somebody as a teenager. When you're going to seek the office, and it's a good thing, Paul says, to seek after the office of a bishop. It's a good thing to seek after, but you better look towards your spiritual maturity. If you're a younger man today, thinking about the pastor and entering into it, pay attention to your elders. Listen, don't run off and make big, expansive decisions and changes without talking to people that have been at it a lot longer than you have. That's the first out of be an elder. That's who he's exhorting. Then another word is used here. This particular word is the idea of shepherding. Again, guiding the flock. We lead the flock. We don't drive the flock. We lead it. We get out in front and set the example for them. That's the other word. Shepherding, guiding them. Taking them to the food, the feeding part. That's what Jesus was saying back there in John 21. Two of those words were for actually providing the food for the flock. How do we provide the food for the flock today? There's only one brand of sheep food. And this is it right here. Faithfully, week after week, day after day, shepherding, feeding the flock with the word of God. And then you have to guard the flock. That's the other idea involved in all these things. Guarding the flock. The overseer is another word involved. But guarding has to be done. It's the idea. Not only do I feed them, not only do I guide them to the watering hole, I have to drive the wolves away. There are wolves all around our churches today. False teachers of every size and shape, every description in the world. There's a false teacher waiting outside. You have to guard the flock. How do we do all these things? Again, he says, shepherd the flock. Begin shepherding the flock today. Right now is the idea, the force of the grammar. Begin right now shepherding the flock. He says, take oversight. That's another word. That's where we get our word episkopos. If you stood up here today and you're, you're out in your field somewhere and you're at the deer lease maybe and you want to look out there and see everything there is, you take your rifle and put it up and you have a scope. Episkopos. It's a fortified word. Episkopos. Intensify the idea. You really look at everything. One of the worst things a pastor can do is to decide okay there's these deacons and I know what they said in the book of Acts and they extrapolate that to, I don't do anything but sit down and pray and read and study and everybody else does the work that's a general description 
but somebody has to be standing above the higher with a higher perspective and watching overseeing the whole thing he says shepherd the flock by taking charge of the whole thing that's what we do then he says talks to us about what should be the proper attitude when we're doing this overseeing and this feeding and this guarding look down and again verse 2 gives us three ideas about how our attitude of episcoposing you might say watching over the flock he says our attitude shouldn't be by constraint but willingly I don't do it you shouldn't do it you shouldn't be an elder in the church particularly a teaching elder you shouldn't be that if you feel like that's I have to do it I'm doing this because it's, I'm just being forced to I've heard many people say this and there's some truth in it they'll tell a younger man don't go into the ministry don't start preaching be an elder try to aspire to that if you can possibly do anything else and I know what they're trying to say the way it comes across sometimes it is so much trouble it's such a burden if you can possibly do it don't put yourself don't put your family through that grinder because it's so bad if you can do anything else do it I think that's a false perception we ought to do it because of the great privilege and joy there is in feeding God's flock don't do it it says because you feel like you're forced to what does it say there it says do it not out of constraint but willingly look at it I'm doing it not because I have to I'm doing it because God's going to let me do it and not everybody gets to the greatest enterprise in all the world is not the Democratic Party it's not the United States of America Russia it's not all the any of those things the greatest enterprise in all the universe for all of eternity is the church of the living God and to have the opportunity to preach in it ought to be the thing that encourages us more than anything else. There is no place, I thought about this Sunday morning, Brother Helwig, on the way to your church. There is no place I would rather be than in the Lord's house with the Lord's people on the Lord's day. What better place could there be? And what greater privilege could anybody have in that house than to stand up and feed the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be running for the opportunity. Thanking the Lord every day that he lets us do that. Feed his sheep along the way. That's the attitude we ought to have. Not by constraint. Jesus said, I lay down my life for the sheep goes on and says no man takes it from me I'll lay it down and I can take it up again we ought to be ready to lay down our lives our hearts our minds in the ministry of preaching the word with joy not because we have to but because he lets us 
of appreciation to Christ. He gives us another one right here. Another idea behind the attitude. Not for filthy lucre. We had the great shepherd's example. Doing it willingly. But think about the great shepherd again. Did he do it for filthy lucre? Did he do it because of greed? Things like that. What did he do? The Bible teaches us that he left the realms of glory. Left all the splendor behind. In covenant with God and the Holy Spirit. The covenant of grace. God gives the Son a flock of people. The elect as Peter says. The Son dies for the people in the covenant. The Holy Spirit brings them to Christ. Calls them to be born again. All of them working together. Three persons of the Trinity. Three in one. Working together willingly to bring this flock together. To glorify God. And he left not because he was worried about how well decorated the parsonage was. He didn't leave because they were going to give him a company car. He didn't leave because he was going to get some great retirement benefits. Why did he do it? Not for gain, but of a ready mind. I'll do it whether I get paid or not. Many people call their family size, whatever the size of the church, they have to have a job. If you will not preach because somebody's not paying you, you need to think again. You need to be ready to preach whether they pay you or not. It's the privilege involved. He gives us one other idea of the attitude. Neither being lords over God's heritage, but being examples. Not to be a tyrant, not to be the dictator of the church, not to wield your power and authority and make people bow down to you. But again, it's being as the great shepherd, the leader, the example. He says, lead, do it, not as this person that wants to beat the flock over the head and drive the flock, but get out in front of the flock and lead the flock. Be the example. The great shepherd again was the example to us under shepherds. Did he lead by example? I'd say he did. Laid down his life. And not only laid down his life, but before he laid down his life, what was his example? He got out and he walked with the people. He went with them. You're not ever going to lead a bunch of deacons by driving them and sitting in the office or sitting at home and saying, you guys go do it. I don't have to do it. How do you teach deacons how to be real deacons? You get out there and serve with them. You don't just tell people to study their Bibles and say, you do this, you do this every day at this time of the day and you read this passage. You get people to be busy in reading their Bibles by being an example, showing them that you read the Bible and reading the Bible with them. 
Not just to them, but with them in their homes and other places. Did Jesus stand by and say, okay, all you guys get out there and go make disciples. What did he do? He didn't say, let me teach you in a class. You come down on Tuesday night and I'll teach all 20 of you a class. Here, all 12. A class, how to be disciples. How did he do it? He got out there with them. One on 12. One on three. That's the example. You want to survive in these troublesome times of splitting denominations, splitting churches. You want to be encouraged, exhorted by Peter. Let Christ, the Holy Spirit through Peter, exhort you. Let him hear you say in your heart, I will shepherd my flock. I will take the oversight joyfully because of the example of Christ. I will have the right attitude. Not be the boss. I want to be the example. I want to do it eagerly. Not because I have to. What happens at the end? Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear. Again in his exalt. He's been humiliated. All that he will ever be humiliated for all of eternity. That's all over. Now is the exaltation when he shall appear again. This great shepherd that's been encouraging the under shepherds, the elders, what does he say? I'm going to give you the crown of glory that fadeth not away. We are not working for crowns. He says you're going to get one. There's nothing wrong with getting a crown. Is you do the job right, you be the right under shepherd with the guidance of the great shepherd, there's going to be a reward. I thought about this last night. I saw a little clip. A man over a hundred years old that had been at Pearl Harbor. Survived it. He's going back to visit and he had his little veteran's cap on little decorations had his suit on but he had his old medals from 1940 they rolled him in meek as he could be and frail but you could tell they had honored him one day hopefully we live long enough we give our lives in preaching and shepherding the flock and they roll us in someplace we ought to be glad we get rolled in before Christ the great shepherd why could he give us little wreaths or little crowns because he wore crown of thorns shepherding giving his life for the flock and follow his example there's a little crown for us mentions a word here in the original language the idea behind the wreath of the crown it's not jewels not gold 
It's like a woven piece of a wreath or a vine, like the plaited crown of thorns. But it's a little vine. Described as a little vine with red flowers on it. And everybody loved it, that little vine, because those flowers lasted so long when you picked them. We roll in before Christ. We'll have our little crowns. Not rejoicing because of who we are, because of the one that gave the crown. That gave his life for us. It says here, our little medals, our little crowns, are those that fadeth not away. Earthly recognitions, earthly rewards and wealth, it all fades away. But for the elder, faithful elder in the church of God, our reward will never fade away. Just bow together for just a moment. Father, we bless your name for setting the example for us for being the real great shepherd, the bishop of our souls. Father, let us not be cowardly. Let us not be greedy, overbearing, faithful to you. We ask those things in Jesus' name.